morning, everyone. Good morning. Father God, we come before you, Lord. Lord, the people came here. Father, they come. Father, I pray that they would forget who's up here. They would hear me, Lord. They would hear your words. They would hear your words. Lord, they would come away from this time being better examples of Christ in this world. More in love and love Um, today, more than any other time in the history of this world, we need to hear good news. Absolutely. How many times have you heard on TV or in the newspapers or online someone saying, there's really good news? Zero. Zero. Wow. That's a really small number. It's a round number, but it's a really small number. Zero. Okay. So I'm going to cheat. Okay, I'm going to go to the back of the book, and I'm going to tell you that you know what? The lamb actually wins. Amen. And more than that, he actually tells us that because he's God, he can't lie. Isn't that amazing that everything in this book is true? Not because we think it or we want it to be, but because he says so. Right. And just to make sure that we heard him correctly, Say it again. he actually tells us, I can't lie. So today, we're going to go about not listening to the fear mongers, the anxiety builders, who want to tell us about the pandemic. We know it's there, but is it really supposed to shut down our lives on this world. We're not going to talk about the riots. We're not going to talk about the increase in murder and robbery going on. Does this sound good news to you, anybody? Because the reality is that the news I'm going to tell you far supersedes anything the world can tell us. I know that you guys are going through the book of Revelation. That's a wonderful book. It's a very Jewish book. Okay? And as you know, I'm a little bit Jewish. Okay? But the, your pastor asked me to talk about prophecy. Because that's something that we as an American church understand very little of. So let's go back. Not 2,000 years, but 3,000 years, 4,000 years. And let's take a look at what those people thought of prophecy. Okay? A little bit different than what we do now. So, for example, how many people here in this room are prophets? Raise your hand. Wow. You know what? I'm going to take this, I'm going to take that question again in about five minutes. Okay? A prophet is God's spokesperson to the people. Starting to figure out you got the wrong answer the first time? Okay? He can be male or female, and even Gentile. So far, well, we're all included in this. The Bible actually records 48 actual prophets that were male, seven that were female, and one that was actually a Gentile. 
Daniel is not considered a prophet because he never spoke to the people. So Jews don't consider him a prophet. Plus the fact a lot of what he writes they don't want to live up to. Okay? So many people today think a prophet as only a person who sees the future. Right? Nostradamus and the people who were casting ideas that are so vague that literally half the world can fulfill it. But that's not what God says a prophet is. A prophet is a person who speaks the word of God to the people. Now, back then, a lot of what we hold as, oh yeah, we have a Bible. We have all those things written down. Hopefully some of us actually read it. Back then, it was only word of mouth. And so God needed men to stand up and speak what was right in God's eyes to the world. Once again, when I say the world, I'm not talking about the big globe that we know now. We're talking about civilization as it stood 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. The gift of prophecy certainly includes the ability to speak to the future. But a prophet is far more than just a person with that ability. A prophet is basically a spokesman for God. So by the way, let's take that vote again. How many people are prophets here today? Oh yeah, all of us. Even the people that didn't raise your hands. Okay? Because God has been so gracious to us that he gave us his word in condensed form. So we don't have to be the stranger speaking a strange word to the world. Especially in America. Everyone's seen the Bible. I would say that most Gentile families and homes would even have a Bible. There'd be lots of dust on it. If it's a brand new Bible, it probably was never opened because it's a decoration. But God expects those of his people to speak that word to an unbelieving, dying world. So we are all prophets. We might not be like Nostradamus and we might not be able to speak into the future, but you know what, guys? We're wrong even then. Because God's promises, which are right all yea and amen, are actually prophetic speaking. See, the key to a prophet in olden days was that they had to be able to prove that they were a prophet. So they had to have a near-time actualization of something they spoke so that people could believe that they could believe in the future one. Don't all of you, can't all of you know that there are promises in the Word of God? That in those promises it is for now, and for tomorrow, and forever? So that means that we can speak into the future too. 
Now, I don't want any of you to walk around going, oh, by the way, Saul said, I'm a Nevi'im. That's the Hebrew word for prophet. Okay? But, and it actually comes from the statement, okay, Niv Sevatayim, which means the fruit of your lips. Now, in James, it really talks about the fruit of your lips, doesn't it? It speaks about how your tongue can both be a blessing and a curse. It can kill and it can create. So the fruit of your lips, if you're speaking God's word, is only blessing. It's only speaking of life. If we're going to, I know it's going to be a really bad word, most of you close your ears and obey. It's one of the hardest words in the English language. We are born into disobedience. We are born with we desire to be right. And therefore God has to be wrong. Because my feelings come first. My choices come first. The Talmud actually teaches, and the Talmud is actually the writings that discuss the actual word of God. Five books of Moses. Okay. That literally there were hundreds of thousands of prophets back then. So, didn't I just say that there was only a few prophets? That were, but there were hundreds of thousands of prophets because people were always unknowing the word of God and passing it back and forth. But there were specific ones that spoke into the world into the two breakup of the, the people in living in Jerusalem and the rest of Israel and so forth that they were speaking to. Prophet is not necessarily a man. Okay, scripture records seven female prophets. Sarah's prophetic ability was superior to Abraham's. So equality is really there still. The prophet is not necessarily a Jew. I don't like that idea, but it's true. So the Talmud reports there were prophets among the Gentiles, most notably Balaam, whose story is told in Numbers 22. And although they, all of them were not elevated as prophets to Israel, as the story of Balaam demonstrates, some of the prophets, such as Jonah, were sent on missions to speak to the Gentiles. Now, I know how Jonah felt. Sorry, folks. Okay, someone asked me about, do I have any um, relatives in Israel? And I said, I don't have any relatives. My father and mother were the only people that got out of the concentration camps. So if someone would have asked me before I got saved, the first four or five months after I got saved. All of you died. That was okay. Because I had hatred. Not just don't care. I had hatred for anyone who wasn't Jewish. But God, in his infinite mercy, thought that this worthless so-and-so was worthy of salvation. And for that, I am eternally grateful. And then God had to work on my heart who understand that, you know what? You're my brothers and sisters. It's really hard to say. In fact, I couldn't say 
Don't worry, because I couldn't say his name for the first three months of salvation without thinking he was a person. That's how much I had been taught who my enemy was. And if you're taught for 35 years who your enemy is, you begin to believe. And you live it. God was showing me that with a great sense of humor that one day I would actually be here teaching my gentle brothers and sisters about the love of this Jewish Messiah. The greatest of the prophets, according to the Jews, is Moses. Obviously, the word of God says that there will be a prophet even greater than Moses. We know him, right? His name is what? Yeshua, right? Wait a minute, we get the same guy? Okay. Because in all fairness, his mother Miriam, not shocking anyone, his mother Miriam never opened up the window. Oh, they don't have any windows here. But screamed outside the house, Hey, Jesus, it's Prince Spaghetti Day. Come on in. He never heard that word Jesus in his entire life. He was Yeshua. By the way, God the saints. Very good. We need to truly understand prophecy, not from how we picture it or how people tell us today, but what went on before. The most important issue in understanding prophecy is the question of whether it should be understood literally. Now, there are plenty of people who want to tell us that we can't understand the Bible. Most priests in the Catholic Church tell us that, right? I can tell you most rabbis tell their people in the synagogues. They can't understand the Bible. That only they can teach themselves. And that is the control that man wants to have so that they control and live life the way they want to. One widespread assumption is that while ordinary scripture can be interpreted in a literal manner with terms retaining to natural meaning, prophetic portions of the Bible should be treated as a special case with the literal or natural meaning no longer applicable. The minute we take the actual word of God and begin to say that I can make it say what I want it to say, it's no longer God's word. It's Bible. During the first two centuries of the early church, tended to interpret prophecy actually literally. Isn't that amazing? Thus they expected Christ to return to earth to establish his kingdom and reign for a thousand years. No questions, no denominational thinking, no dispensation, no pre-future whatever. No. Literal. That's the end of the story. After which new heavens and a new earth will be established. A school of theology. Theology is a wonderful thing. It's the study of God. But the way we use it, theology, is a bad word. Because it's we're now going to create God in our own image. A school of theology sprang up in Alexandria, Egypt, about AD 190. Okay? Roughly almost two centuries after the death. 
attempting to combine biblical interpretation with the idealism of Greek philosophers. Plato. We've all heard of Plato, right? Well, he was so famous in the Greek world that everyone decided, okay, well, we'll take this Jewish document, because what they were referring to was the Old Testament, not the New, and we're going to slightly change it and read it the way we want to. This resulted in those leaders taking the Bible as an extensive allegory and not literally. And once you start to create allegorical thinking, it's really your choice how far you want to go. There are people that say that, oh, death doesn't mean death anymore. Because once again, it's an allegory. So some people say they were only sleeping. They were bored and weren't listening. No, no, you know what? The last time I checked, dead, it actually means shock, dead. <laughs> That's it. So if we are going to take the word and change it for our own purposes, then that's what we're going to do. We're going to turn the word of God into the word of Saul. And listen, no one came here to hear the word of Saul today. Refuting this position, the early church was able to restore the church as a whole back to normal. Grammatically, historically, literal interpretation of the Bible. However, in the area of prophecy, this was still more difficult since there were prophecies that had not yet been fulfilled. Do you know that? That we're living in fulfillment of prophecy time? Now I know that when COVID-19 hit, everyone started running, is this one of the signs? We've been having flus and viruses and epidemics and population-killing diseases, most, by the way, that we invented. Not that God invented, not that God sent on us, but in our infinite free will, we decided we should destroy some or most of the universe, I guess. By the way, I didn't do any of it. The early church floundered somewhat in its approach to prophecy and its interpretation. This was brought to a head to some extent by the teaching of Augustine in 354 to 430. He held that while the Bible should be interpreted in its normal, literal sense in most areas, in the area of prophecy, it was not to be taken literally. This view was then adopted by Roman Catholic Church, and unfortunately, the Protestant reformers also built on Augustine's view. See, now it's amazing, yet most of the theological leaders said that some prophetic events were actually fulfilled, literally. We can go back to the Catholic Church, who said that they believe in a literal hell. They believe in a literal second coming. They believe in a literal judgment from God. But they denied a literal thousand-year reign of Christ. You know why? I have bones to pick. It is because the millennial kingdom, Israel is a very... of mostly Gentiles at that point. There's been an unconscious resistance to the idea that the Jews had an important future in this upcoming world. 
This problem of denying a literal fulfillment of prophecy, and especially a literal millennial kingdom, still persists in many churches today. If we do not read the word of God in its literal sense, then we simply should take the book and put it on the shelf near all the rest of the fiction. Let the word speak to itself. You have a question about, does it really mean this or that? You've got a great pastor, and I'm not trying to brown nose him in any way. You have a great pastor who desires to have this body of believers not only understand the word of God, but to live out the word of God. To use that ugly word I said before, um, oh yeah, obey. As many as 50 different interpretations can be offered for just one passage in Revelation alone that could easily be interpreted in its own natural way. So we need to get back to a literal reading. We also need to understand that the book of Revelation was written to its Jewish listeners. At that point in time, the church people of the way, was mostly still Jewish. And John was speaking in his vernacular to the people the way they were going to understand. So, for example, I'm going to give you a couple of examples of why Jews don't want to believe. And they've made the word of God so they don't have to. In Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Seems pretty clear, right? It's supernatural, okay, because last time I checked, no one on earth can be a virgin and have a child. Okay, just want to make sure. You know, I am silly sometimes. I might not understand. Here's the best part. The older rabbinic translations of Isaiah 7.14 perfectly understood that, literally. Okay? That they understood this passage refers to a virgin and not a young maiden. Case in point, the Septuagint translators in 270 B.C., 270 years before Christ, who were Jewish scholars, used the Greek word parthenos in Isaiah 7.14, which means virgin and not young woman. However, recent translations of the Tanakh okay, replace the word virgin with young woman and changes the wording to the present tense, thus implying that at the time Isaiah wrote the prophecy, the young woman was already pregnant and the birth would occur soon. Once again, original rabbinic thought. The word of God was literally, oh yeah, the word of God. But now we have to understand, we don't like this Jesus guy. He is now a traitor to the cause, at best. He's crazy, he's a liar. He's a defiler of God's word. That's what they think. Do you know the Jewish word for Jesus, his name, is Yeshu. You know what Yeshu stands for? May his name be blotted out forever. 
It's an acronym. Because they don't want that guy. By the way, you're listening to someone who didn't want that guy for the same reasons. But God took the scales off of my eyes and allowed me to see. And that's what I pray every day, that God would take the scales off of every Jewish person's eyes. Because I had no desire for him. I wasn't looking for him. I didn't need him in any way, except I had a believing wife who was forcing me to go to these places and listen to things. And if it wasn't for her, it might have taken God a lot longer. Because remember, as much as God wants all of us and the whole world to be saved, we still have free will. We have free will to be wrong. We have free will to kill ourselves. We have free will to not have eternity in heaven but in hell. We have free will. Foolish that we are, we actually choose to choose our free will. Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. What's the next one? Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Sounds pretty legitimately literal to me. Oh, yeah. The Babylonian Talmud, which is in A.D. 600, that, once again, is the writings upon the writings of the interpretations of the five books of Moses. Do you see how far we can get away? We complain that the Pharisees would always talk about this rabbi and that rabbi. Well, this is where they get it from. I can tell you there are many pastors who were so proud to speak about their friend, who said this, or this other pastor who said that, or send out documents from these other people. Isn't the word of God good enough? We shouldn't need to have all these people telling us what we can read and simple understand. It reads like this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty Judge, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The word everlasting reveals that it is God because only God can be everlasting. But the Jewish Study Bible, because only version of the Tanakh states that instead of the government will rest on his shoulders, it reads, authority has settled on his shoulders, meaning someone's giving him this. Instead of mighty God, they have changed it Mighty God has planned grace. An honest translation of the Hebrew cannot support this wording. The titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Bees, have been removed and reworded to sound like an ordinary man. See, it's very easy. And once again, not just from this, the Gentile way of doing but even from the Jewish rabbinical ways. You don't like something? You don't like what it says, let's change it. And if we say it, because once again, this is something that has gone on through history. If you say something loud enough and multiple times enough, it becomes the truth. Jews have been the scapegoat of every single nation in this world. Because someone made up a lie and kept on saying it. 
Today, we have the same thing. Okay, in Israel, the Palestinians, who really don't have any right to that land, actually say that they're the only ones with the right. And because they've said it loud enough, and there are more than enough people that want to have that as truth, it's become the truth. Do you know it's the only place in the world where a victor of a war actually gets told you can't keep what you want? Think of it. Any other war you've ever had, has the victor ever been said, no, you got to give it all back? Israel, they, they're told to give it all back. They're told you can't keep it. And there's enough people who are willing to hear the lie, make it a truth. Brothers and sisters, you have a great pastor who I know teaches the truth of God's word. But you know what? It's not enough to believe. I know that it says that if you only believe, you will have eternal life and never perish. Paraphrase of John 3.16. But you know what? I'm going to help the verse. If you really believe. If you have true belief. Because see, belief, if you actually believe in something, doesn't it change your attitude and what you do? There are lots of people in lots of churches who say, I believe. I believe in the Easter money, too. I believe, and their life never changes. Because there really isn't belief that changes life. God is a great God. He's a life-altering God. We are saved by our belief, but it's true belief, and if you have true belief, your life changes. I'm not saying you're perfect. Anyone, anyone here perfect? I, I shouldn't say that. Maybe someone's perfect, and I don't know. Anyone here perfect? I know I'm not. I know the Calvary Chapel of Old Bridge probably was perfect before I got there. But as soon as I got there, I ruined it for everyone. And if you talk to some people this day, they'll still say that. Anyway, we need to obey. If God's word is true, and we believe, everyone here believes this is God's word, right? So why do we disobey so much? Why do we choose to ignore? Why do we choose to say, oh, God didn't really mean that? Oh, God meant that for somebody else. This isn't the word for me. This, is, this one section is actually for my friend over there. We need to believe, understand, and act on it. Because, by the way, the Messiah that we all say that we worship says, why do you call me Lord and not obey? In every single generation, both in Gentile and in Jewish rabbinical thought, we have gotten further and further away. The reason why it was so easy to actually believe that everything should be allegorical was simple. God saying that Israel will come back alive, that Israel won't die, that his, his people won't die. Well, if anyone would have said that statement a hundred years ago, they would have been thought crazy. 
There's no way Israel's coming back. There's, there's no Jews in the land even. And the Jews that are there are very comfortable in the countries that they live in. Oh, I'm sorry, 1948 sort of ruined that idea. Okay? 1967, all of Jerusalem is now in Israel's control. Do you actually know that the third temple is all ready to be built? That literally every accoutrement, every lampstand, every tower, everything that needs to go into the third temple is actually already built. Only costs $15 billion. It's in warehouses waiting so that when the word goes out to actually accomplish the build, they're just putting it in. Do you know that there are Levites who are being trained right now? I happen to be of Levite um, DNA. Okay? Um, and the only way that Kohanim, high priests, and Levites are the only people who actually the world can dictate, yes, they've existed from, Israel, from, from Jewish lineage, is that because the prayers said by the rabbinical rabbis and set up had to have high priests, Kohanes, and Levites for every regular service. So all of us actually have our names in every synagogue's writings. And I can go back into Poland and I can find those synagogues and documents and my father's name would be in there. By the way, it wouldn't be sender. I, 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 I'm not a sender. My name is Saul Sender. Actually, my name is Saul Zahavi Sender. Okay, that name in Hebrew actually means they asked for gold. That's how my father would introduce me. Yeah, we asked for gold. We got him. Okay. But my father's name, coming out of the concentration camp, was Yoina Jonah Koppelman. But he had no paperwork. He had no thing. He wanted to get out of Poland. So he found dead bodies, and he was scouring through them, and he found the passport for Chill Sender. And here I am. So when people go, oh, I know a sender, are you related? Oh, no, I'm not. Can't be. My name isn't. Today, the Jewish people are spiritually blind. They seek a Messiah who has already come. Because they didn't like the way he came. And please, you know, oh, how could they not get it? Even before Christ came, there was a thought, a Jewish thought, that there would be two messiahs. Because there are literally two word pictures of who he's supposed to be. We now know with 2020 hindsight that it is a first coming and a second coming. But that's not what it says in the Bible. It's something that we learned. There is Yeshua Ben Yosef and Yeshua Ben David. There is the God who saves, son of Joseph, the suffering Messiah. And there is Yeshua Ben David, the God who saves, son of the royal king. When you're under servitude, when you're suffering, when you're slaves, even though you're walking around in a nation, 
You want to be free. You want to rule yourself. That's what all the Jews wanted to back then. And that's what the son of David, they were looking for. But God had a different plan. God had a better plan. God had, let me cleanse you of your sins first before he comes to rule for a thousand years. And that is what we see. So that's why the Jews didn't like who he was. Not all the Jews. Because please remember, for the first hundred years of people of the way, actually for the first 70 years, they are actually allowed in the temple. So they were considered Jews, these people who believed in the Messiah. They were considered Jews who just had a different slant, the same way we today have Reformed, Conservative, Orthodox, and Ultra-Orthodox in Jewry. The same way that you have Baptists and you have Pentecostals and, 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 and all these different, you have non-denominationals and stuff, which is pretty much let's do whatever we want to do because every non-denominational is different. We need to get back to simple, the word of God. I beg you, I'm not asking, I beg you, please pray for my fellow blind Jews. Because see, September 19th, 1991, at 11.53 at night, while being 35 years, completely a pagan, while being a Jew, God ripped the scales off my eyes. I didn't deserve that gift. I didn't earn the gift. I didn't even want the gift. But I got it that night at 11.53. Now, I know who I am. I know that as the original Apostle Saul said that he is the chief sinner of his time, I know you think he's Paul, but he's not Saul. I fully am willing to admit that I am the chief sinner of my time. So why, get, why God ultimately allowed me to be saved and not everyone else in Judaism, I don't. I don't know why he wants to use me. Yeah, actually, I do. Because in heaven, you're going to use salt. Well, I used the dumb, I used the dumb donkey. Now I'm going to have to go a little bit step lower and prove it again. That was a joke. You could have laughed. It was pretty funny in my head. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. They seek a Messiah who has already come. They were not looking for a Messiah who would rescue them from their sins, thus giving them eternal life and also be their king forever. Jesus Christ is both a glorious spiritual savior and future king, and we need to pray for them and witness to them. They are God's chosen people. As I had a conversation with someone today, we weren't chosen because we're really so smart. We are, by the way. We are really That's a blessing of God. Do you know that the entire Jewish population of the world is only one half of 1% of the world's population? Do you know we own 24% of all the Nobel Peace Prizes? I'm sorry, Nobel Prizes for all of smart creating and doing and everything. There's got to be a reason because God blesses us. But we were chosen not because of that. 
We were chosen because we were the least of all. God picked Israel because if ever Israel was going to do anything fantastic, every other nation in the world would have to say, must be their God, because it couldn't be them. That's why we got chosen. And the standard phrase that Jews now today use is, Lord, please pick someone else. We're tired. It's not like we have an easy out in this world. Let's get to the good news. Five things God cannot do. Anyone shocked? God cannot do these things. God cannot fail. God does not fear. God never forsakes his children. God does not misunderstand. God never makes a mistake. How many of you have thought, God, why did you make me? God, why am I the way that I am? I'm sorry, didn't you just hear that last one? God does not make mistakes. He didn't go, oops! <laughs> you know what, let's see what happens. He didn't say that. God made you. Oh yeah, I think the words are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were made, each of you, to be a blessing in your own way to the world. God made you good. When he made you, he didn't go, oy vey. What was I doing? What was I thinking? Oh, he said, oh, oh, what a blessing this, this is going to be on the world. Do we live like that? Do we think like that? Well, maybe we need to change our thinking. Because God doesn't make mistakes. By the way, he also doesn't lie. He can't lie. So there's really six things. How many people this week have worried? Worried. You know the word W-O-R-R-I-E-D, worried. How many people have worried this week about finances, about health, about the, 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 stance, of, the stance of your of your house, of your family, of whatever? You've worried, right? What does God say? Don't worry. He actually said, let your hearts not be troubled. Remember that word I said before, obey? Ooh, this one no one wants to do. Because it would mean that we have to trust God completely. God said in his promises he would take care of us. But no, God, you're obviously not doing a really good job. Let me take over. That's what we're saying. Instead of, oh no, Lord, you have this. I'll just worship you until I get to see it. In fact, that is so hard to do. But you know what? If we really believe, then that's what we do. So we have to work on it. Remember when Jesus said to the, to the, to the head rabbi, okay? Oh, well, if you believe... And then, oh, I believe. And then two seconds later, uh, but 
Can you help me with my unbelief? See, God didn't expect us to be perfect. He didn't expect us to always have it rock solid. That's why he said, I forgive. I forgive and I treat you like a brand new son and daughter. I don't even, and by the way, okay, uh, he remembers everything. The second, God doesn't remember anything, he's not God anymore. He's omniscient, means he knows everything. So for those who think, oh, God forgave me and forgot it, no. God forgave me and he acts like he forgot it because he knows everything. We never forget the sins other people have done to us. Aren't we made in God's image? We need to forgive and then act like we forgot, just like God does. Let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. That's the words of Jesus. In my Father's house, there are many abodes. Some people have houses. Some people have condos. Some people have palaces. It really depends on where your attitude is in terms. All I want to do is get up there and have him. Okay? I'll live on the grass on the lawn. It's okay by me. Okay? I'll eat the figs off the tree. I'm, I'm good. I could probably afford to no. I'm not going to be this way. I'm going to have a perfected body. Anyone want to say yay and amen to perfected bodies? Okay, I am going to be 65 this year. And every single minute of every single day, I feel older. I do. More aches and pains and things I never knew existed are causing me to have troubles. But the one thing that isn't is that I know that I have Christian PTSD. Do any of you have Christian PTSD? You should. All of you should. Do you know what PTSD stands for? Okay, it's an acronym for Pathway to Sanctification Daily. PTSD. And, and all Christians, all believers, should have PTSD, Christian PTSD, because we should be on that pathway of being more like Christ every day. We should read more. We should pray more. We should worship more. We should understand more. We should act more with and like Christ. And if we do, then you're on the PTSD train, just like me. So when people say, oh, I have PTSD, you can tell them, I do too. You know, th that's how conversation gets started, like-minded people. But then you have to explain your PTSD. Maybe they would like your PTSD better than what their PTSD is. I would think so. If it were not so, I would have told you. Once again, Jesus saying, he only speaks the truth. If you weren't going to get what he promised, he, he would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again. That is a promise. What does that mean? That means he's coming. Okay, 
When is he coming? Well, I just told you, the Jews think the year 6,000, by the way, is only 219 years away. Okay? Now, you guys are going, oh, no, my pastor said he can come any minute. He can. He will? Don't know that. He will. Because once again, the apostles looking up into heaven at the place that Jesus disappeared to thought that each one of them were going to be able to see him again in life. The Apostle Paul always thought that Jesus was coming before he died. Every generation, every decade of believers has believed that Jesus Christ is coming while they're still alive. Jesus didn't go and say, oh, but by the way, you know, I'm going to tell you when. So we can all be schmoes until five minutes before. He told us that what we need to do is to live like he's coming back at any instance. If we're living every moment like he's coming back, then it doesn't matter when he comes back because we're going to have a life in him and of abundance. That's what he promised if we just obey. Oh, that bad word again, obey. But see, that's what we would have to do if we were expecting, let's face it, if you knew that Jesus was coming back, hopefully before the sermon ends so I could, you could be rid of me, um, wouldn't you like all sit up straight? Wouldn't you all be listening? Wouldn't you all be in your mind really worshiping him so you'd be like looking like a real Christian or something? Well, guys, that's what we're supposed to do in truth forever as long as we're alive. And if he comes, fantastic. If he doesn't come, fantastic. What do I have to lose? I'm living a life that God ordered me to do for my benefit, and I'm doing it. Nothing wrong there, folks. And by the way, the longer he, tally, he, he, he tallies, the longer he, he waits to come back, the more people that get saved. I know that we're all waiting for that last Gentile. I'm still looking for the name so I can find that guy and tell him to hurry up. But that's not actually true. Because you see, I have a son who's a prodigal. I have a son who walked away from the faith. And I have two sisters who do not believe. And I would have them be saved. And I continue to pray, and I continue to use every opportunity to put in my word without getting in God's way with them. But I want them. I have so many Jewish friends that have now consider me dead and everything else, but I want them saved. And the longer that the Lord waits, the more chance these people have to come to the Lord. Every one of you... The only people you know are people who are saved. Can anyone raise your hand and say, the only people I know, they're saved. They're coming with me to heaven. Huh? Anybody? Well, then you should want them to have the time that you had to come to the Lord. You should be praying. You should be acting. You should be living out God's word in action so they could see the sermon instead of having to hear you talk. 
I can tell you my son doesn't want to hear me at all. But he's forced to see me in action. And he speaks about my actions in very believing terms, which I am very liking and proud of. Because it shows that I've changed my life. My wife actually tells me that I changed my life. But then she shrinks my head by telling me not so much yet. Okay. And, and that's what wives are for, to make sure that husbands' heads can get through the doorway. My wife does a great job of that. And I need it, so I'm grateful. Why is hope so crucial to our faith? See, what I just spoke was a promise. He said, he's coming back. Did all of you go, feel a little bit better when, I heard, when, when you heard that? When I said it was a promise that he's definitely going to come? See, there's hope there. That word snuck in to your souls and said, oh, i got something to look forward to. Do you know that there are so many promises in the Bible? Does anyone count them all? 734. Yeah. Do you know any of them? Do you believe any of them? Do you live like you do? See, because we have, in America, we have this strange thing. We say we believe, but we don't act like it. So do we actually believe? that this is the word of God, that God can't lie, that God is coming back, that he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. This month, with everything going on, did you wonder whether God forgot about you? Whether or not he's busy with somebody else and doesn't have enough bandwidth to work on you? But see, God says that's not true. See, our feelings are our worst enemies. Because we feel, and our feelings are like roller coasters. There's no science to it. There's no fact to it. But most of us are allowed to live our lives based on decisions of our feelings. I feel like that. I think that. Maybe this, maybe that. And unfortunately, there's a guy. His name is God. And he actually says, no, there's this and there's that. There's right and there's wrong. And they never mix. And if they don't mix, if you don't obey, you're disobeying. There is no justification. There are no excuses. There are simply sins, and we need to ask for forgiveness. And we need to, when we ask for forgiveness, say we repent. So we're going to turn away from that sin and not do it anymore. Not just go, oh, but God's so loving, I'll just keep on doing it for a while. Why can you have hope? Have you ever thought that? Really? Wait a minute. Am I strange? In a world today where there's so little hope, everything is going down the toilet, and it's spinning while we look. How can you have hope? Consider the scripture, which is, once again, the truth of God. Because God wanted to make unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it by an oath. God did so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have 
fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Hebrews 6, 17 to 19. You have a hope that does not lie, that does not go away. Are you walking in here, out of here, and dealing with the people out there with a big smile on your face? Or are you walking around like any other pagan, any other non-believer? Oh, woe is me, the world is falling down. See, if they can't see you be different than them, what do they want with you? They already are you. They act like you. They talk like you. They look like you. Why should they want something from you? But in a world that's falling apart, you walk around like you just hit the lottery, that you just found the vaccine. They're looking for answers from you then. Forget about evangelism the way you know it. Oh, we got to tell people who don't want to hear. That's tough. Live a life like Christ, that they see Christ in you, and they will ask you to tell them why you're different. They will have open ears for you to talk into. And they will give you time to explain it, because you look like someone who knows what these other people want. I'm sorry, I know we're not Pentecostal. Yay and amen? Okay, good. Made me feel so much better. Okay. Okay. Good news in a challenging time. Do you know that God promised that he's never going to leave you? Have we always felt that? Come on. In our lives, when, when troubles, when we have health issues that aren't going away and the doctors can't find out what's going on and so forth. Or we have something that no one has a cure for. We lost our jobs, and now you know our our, our homes are going to be foreclosed. Is it really? Oh yeah, I st he's still there with me. No, Lord, what, what, why, why did you leave me? Why did you go away? See, humanly, I understand, but we're not supposed to be human. We're supposed to be supernatural. The last time I checked, there's this guy, initials HS. Holy Spirit. Better yet, Ruach HaKodesh. Okay? That's his Hebrew, that's his real name. Sorry. Okay? He's inside of you. Ruach HaKodesh, for someone who wanted to hear it again. He's inside of us. He's supposed to be guiding us. Last time I checked, he's supernatural. He explains this book, which is, oh, by the way, supernatural. So you know why? So we could live supernatural lives. So we could live a life above ordinary. With everything going on, we have promises that we should be smiling about. That we should be showing the world there's a better way and a better place and a better who to listen to. Promise too. He's always going to take care of you. Come on, folks. I'll even admit, 
I have my doubts on that sometimes. Doubts. I kick them to the curb when I remember what's going on. But why do you worry about your clothes for? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you? Will he not much more take care of you? I'm sorry, did, did Jesus die for the lilies of the field? No, died for you. If he died for you, isn't he going to take care of you? But somehow, in our humanness, our worldliness, we jump on the bandwagon of we're not being taken care of. Promise three, he promises to provide for you. Don't worry and ask yourselves, will we have anything to eat? Will we have anything to drink? Will we have any clothes to wear? Only people who don't know God are always worrying about such things. Your Father in heaven know that you need all these. And more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. And the other things are yours as well. In Matthew 6, 31, 33. Let's see now. He's never going to leave you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. Promise four is he's going to give you rest. That's one of the biggest things right now in school. Because of all the news and everything that's going on, people are constantly under attack. And when you're worried, when you're concerned, when you fear, when you're anxious, you can't rest. Come to me, all of you who are tired and have heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Promise, I will give you rest. Anyone here tired? God's then we're not doing something God's telling us to do because he said, I'll give you rest. My wife will tell you that I'm never not tired because I only average three to four hours of sleep a night. I was sort of trained that way by my father. We won't get into his child-rearing stuff, but I was raised so that whenever he got home, I would be awake and he worked the night shift. So he would have time with his son. Okay. Promise five, to free you from fear. Anyone here afraid? Come on. Don't be fibbers in church. You know, really? You have nothing you're afraid of. Nothing. Everything. One honest woman. Praise the Lord. No, thank you for being honest. Because you know what? Most of us, if, we, if I hooked you up with some electrodes for some lie detectors, you'd all be going bing, 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 bing right now. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. It doesn't say maybe. It doesn't say when I feel like it. It says, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with the surging. Psalm 46, 1 to 3. I'm sorry, these are promises that are supposed to be yay and amen. There is no maybes, there is no no's. It's just yay. 
I don't hear yays. I hear, that, that's him saying it, not me. He comes to build up your faith. Because, oh, can you help me with my unbelief? He didn't scold the guy. He didn't say, oh, you don't have enough, forget it. He understood. And he ministered. And he created a miracle. Right? And do you think the guy's belief sort of jumped up a couple of notches after that? Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Is that what the world teaches? Is that what you believe? Really, when your trials and tribulations come, it's a great time to be smiling, right? Is that what you really do? Come on now, come on. Come on, honest woman. Okay, there we go. You know, get up here and preach to these people. Come on. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Faith is a muscle. And all of you big, strong guys that go to gyms, as you can see, I don't go to the gym. But you guys who go to the gym, you know that muscles can only grow by getting ripped. You exercise, your muscle rips, and as it heals, it gets bigger and stronger. Faith muscle has to do the same thing. If it's not tested, it never grows. But when you successfully pass a trial or tribulation with faith, the next time, you already graduated to the next level. And that's what God is expecting. Please listen. God is not a God of pass or fail. He's a God of pass or try again. So, maybe we should do it the first time. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Do you know that if you had perfect faith, you would absolutely need nothing? Because perfect faith in a, oh yeah, perfect God, leaves nothing for chance. But we, we're not perfect. He still is, but we don't act accordingly to him. So we need to. And that's in James 1, 2 to 4. Seven promises for times of uncertainty. Is, is now a good time for uncertainty? Do we know all the changes? Now, you guys, you've been blessed by a pastor who just lived it out. You know, he never shut down the church. He never, you guys always had an open church. Even my church didn't do that. This is only our 11th week that we're actually still open, that we're actually open for people coming in for attendance and so forth, and even in a minimal way. Okay, you know what? This is going to be for another time. Okay, I've exceeded my time. Someone very nicely told me so. So we're going to pray, okay? And I would love to come back. And by the way, I do want to tell you a little story. Um, I used to come here almost on a regular basis. And um, for a while I wasn't invited or just didn't have an opportunity to come. And I thought, that I was actually going to have to um, to 
figure out how to get here, what time was going to be. I didn't, I, I didn't know if I was going to remember any faces and so forth. And halfway through New Jersey, something came over me and said, you're going home. Because you guys have always been my second home. No matter how many churches I go to, no matter how many countries I preach at, because I regularly preach in South Africa now, you guys are my second home. There's Calvary Chapel of Oldbridge, and there's you. And I pray for you on a regular basis. Because you know why? Because your pastor forces me to. No, because every time I've ever come here, I've fallen in love with you people. And I'm so glad to come back and refresh that love and be able to pray with a picture of the faces that I'm praying for again. So let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord. And Lord, as I prayed before, Lord, please just wipe out my name from these people's faces and minds. Let them hear you. For all the foolishness that I spoke, Lord, let your word get into their ears, their hearts, their fingertips, and their feet. Lord, let them love you more. Let them obey you more. Let them be examples of Christ to the world. Let this place be a shining light to the world around them, Father. And we all said, Amen.